Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe my sight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Do your patients know what presbyopia is? There are people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses? I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gill, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Wow, today is our 100th episode. I want to thank our crew and people who have helped us along this journey. Wayne, Chris, Stephanie, Tara, Kiera, and Dylan. We want to especially thank our loyal listeners and sponsors. Without them, the Open Your Eyes podcast would not be possible. For our 100th episode, we want to bring to our viewers our 100 Again mission. During the filming of the documentary, Open Your Eyes, we spent a lot of time in Costa Rica and helped restore the vision of centenarians through cataract surgery. We began developing a larger mission and a bigger team to go back in 2020 to help many more, but worldwide circumstances shut down our initiative. Part of our team was Dr. Jeffrey Levinson, who joins us today about renewing our commitment to these amazing people. Please watch this three minute video, bringing sight back to the blind. Buenas. His eyes are, at least from the outside, look pretty good.
Le roban un besillo así, ¿verdad? Working with them and getting into their houses and into their life and into their eyes to get a new life, a new experience of sensitive with their family, with the, the people, with the, the kids. Um, it's really intimate and it's really inspiring me to, to keep going to help these people because they really need a lot of help. Cataract is when your eye's natural lens becomes cloudy. Symptoms include blurry, hazy, and less colorful vision. Patients often state that they can't get their glasses clean. Cataract is the leading cause of needless blindness worldwide, accounting for more than 50% of the world's 40 million blind. Luckily for most people who live in the United States, cataract surgery is easy to obtain, and few Americans become blind from cataracts. Unfortunately, this is not the case in many undeserved areas throughout the globe. Today's guest, Jacksonville, Florida eye surgeon, Dr. Jeffrey Levinson, MD. Dr. Levinson has made it his mission to help cure needless blindness worldwide. Dr. Levinson is the founder of Jacksonville's Gift of Sight, a 30-year-old program that has assured that no one in North Florida is blind from cataracts. He's also the chief medical officer of C International, a Santa Barbara-based charity dedicated to the end of needless blindness around the world. Jeff has spent the last 10 years working around the globe teaching and performing a special type of cataract surgery that is less expensive, equally effective, and suitable to low-resource communities. Dr. Levinson recently teamed with YouTube sensation Mr. Beast to restore vision to a thousand people in need. Welcome, Dr. Levinson. Wow, you're a true hero. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, Jeff, you're really a true hero. You know, we grew up together. I remember you in grade school. We used to hang out together. And I always knew you were always the smartest kid in the class. And <laughs> I knew someday you were going to be a hero to people. How does it feel to be a humanitarian, to really help so many people in need? You know, it, it's a, 
on the one hand, I don't feel like I'm that big a deal, but on the other hand, I feel really grateful to have found a purpose to my life, to have found uh, something that that fills me up and gives me pleasure and um, and makes me feel like I'm here for a reason. Um, you know, when you're a kid, you um, you don't really know why you're here. And I remember spending a lot of time when I was 15 years old thinking, what's life all about? What am I here for? And it's great to be in an age where I kind of know why I'm here and what I'm supposed to be doing. And all I have to do is get up every day and do this thing I was meant to do. And it it fills me up and makes me feel complete. I'm grateful to be in this spot. So you're a cataract surgeon. Uh, you're an ophthalmologist. Explain to the audience what cataracts are. Yeah, so there's a lens inside the eye. We see through it. When we're a kid, that lens is crystal clear. Um, as we get older, just naturally, the lens tends to get cloudy. Um, that happens at an earlier age in the setting of malnourishment or infection or chronic inflammation. So in the United States, we typically see cataracts in, when people reach their 60s and 70s and 80s, although they can happen at any age. Overseas, we often see them when people are in their 40s and 50s. Basically, as the lens gets cloudy, we're looking through a dirtier and muddier and foggier lens and the world gets dirtier and muggier and muddier and foggier. Um, and the leading cause of blindness in the world is people with a cloudy lens. And to say that differently, the leading cause of blindness in the world is people who need a 10 minute surgery because cataracts can be fixed readily and safely and pretty universally successfully. And the leading cause of blindness in the United States is in cataracts, it's macular degeneration and diabetes. Right. So here in the United States, cataract surgery is pretty universally accessible. Um, and let me clarify that. There are roughly 10% of all Americans who don't have access to health insurance. So every day I see somebody in my office who's blind or nearly completely blind. I had two people today who um, is less than 65 years old, so they don't qualify for Medicare. And they, in Florida, didn't expand Medicaid. So 16% of Floridians have no access to Healthcare. So there are people every day in the United States who need cataract surgery and can't afford it. And of course, as your vision starts to get worse, it's harder to work. People often lose work as they go blind, and then you're really in a in a in a mess. So um, so there are people in the United States who are blind from cataracts, but they're not nearly as common. Most people with in the United States have health insurance. Health insurance pays for cataract surgery, and most people get their cataracts fixed at an early stage before they get into trouble. Overseas, that's not the case. Roughly. 2 billion people in the world live on less than $5 a day. Roughly 700 million people in the world live on less than $2 a day. And blindness is concentrated among the world's poor. Roughly 90% of all the blindness in the world is in people who make less than $5 a day. And what is the age that the average person gets cataracts in the U.S.? And is it different in other parts of the country because maybe they're eating different, they have different nutrition? Yeah, so it depends on how you define a cataract. The lens inside the eye, I didn't mention this before, it's not just clear when you're a child, it's also flexible. So children can see at a distance and up close. You get to be around 40, maybe 45, the lens starts getting stiffer and less flexible. Not yet cloudy, but stiffer. We call that presbyopia. People start needing reading glasses around age 40 or 45. But it's a first sign of what we call lens dysfunction. The lens not working the way it worked when you were a kid. And then right around age 50 or 60 or 70, the lens starts getting yellower and thicker and denser. And that happens at varying ages in different people. I was 51 years old when I needed cataract surgery. And, and I'd never seen a doctor before, never had another illness. 
But uh, it became apparent to me pretty quickly at around age 50 to 51 that I was getting more glare, more difficulty driving at night, more difficulty seeing print clearly. Um, it was pretty apparent to me that something was happening and uh, and I kept denying and I kept thinking it can't be, I, you know, I'm a cataract surgeon. <laughs> How could this be happening to me? <laughs> but it gave me a very clear understanding of how annoying and ultimately disabling cataracts can be. And at age 51, I had to have surgery to fix them. And what kind of symptoms did you have? For me, I remember the first thing that happened to me is I was driving home one day and I thought, boy, the lights of the oncoming cars are really annoying. And that kind of shocked me because it, immediately I recognized that's the thing my patients say. Why am I saying that? And then a few weeks later, this is back when I still used to get the newspaper in print form. And I remember thinking, boy, they're not making the print as, as bright or as distinct in the newspaper anymore as they used to. Um, and soon enough, I, I found I was like um, having more sensitivity to light, more glare and halos and starbursts when I drove at night. Um, I was taking off my glasses and cleaning them over, or over and over again, just the way you described it. I kept blinking and thinking, certainly if I blink one more time, things will be clear. And then I remember one day I was looking up at my wife. She was sitting in front of a mirror, in front of a window. She was maybe five feet away from me, six feet away from me. And I could see her silhouette, but I couldn't see her face. I couldn't tell it was her. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going blind from cataracts. So those are the sorts of symptoms that people often describe, difficulty driving, difficulty reading, difficulty following their golf balls, seeing the print in the newspaper. People always say, how will I know when I have a cataract? And the answer I give them is, you'll know. <laughs> when, it, when it's time to fix it, I won't, I won't have to tell you it's time to fix it. You'll know it's time to fix it. You know, 51 is pretty young to get cataracts. You know, what typically would cause somebody 51 or 40 to get cataracts? You know, there are risk factors. There are things that place people at risk. One of those is certain medicines, particularly steroid medicines. Um, another is injuries to the eye. People who work out of doors and don't protect their eyes are more prone to cataracts um, due to sun damage. But most cataracts just happen for no none of those reasons. Um, and, uh, and mine happened for no recognizable reason. Um, generally speaking, the older you get, the more likely you are to have cataracts. And it's uncommon for people to get through life in the United States without needing cataract surgery. If you're lucky enough to live long enough, most people are gonna need cataract surgery. Last year, roughly 4 million people in the United States alone had cataract surgery. So it's one of the most common accompaniments of age and um, and one of the most common of all surgeries. Fortunately, it's also one of the safest and most successful, perhaps the safest and most successful of all surgeries. And roughly 99% of people who have otherwise healthy eyes who get cataract surgery end up seeing beautifully afterwards. I mean, people that alcohol, smoking, yep. that increases yep. the risk of cataracts. I, you know, I should have mentioned that. that many, uh, you know, I have this program called Gift of Sight where we, um, do cataract surgery for free of people who can't afford it. And often people who can't afford it are people who have a history of chronic alcoholism or drug abuse or malnourishment. They're people who have other problems that are compounded by poor sight. There's some studies that show that lutein, zeaxanthin, and vitamin C can decrease your risk of getting cataracts. Also diet. What are some of the other things, Jeff, that we could do to decrease our risk of getting cataracts? You know, the, the main thing is protection from 
um, direct sunlight, especially for people who work out of doors. So wearing a broad, broad rimmed cap or wearing a pair of sunglasses um, helps to prevent the onset of cataracts or, or slow the onset of cataracts. Um, it's important not to get hit in the eye too much. Um, you know, trauma injuries to the eye can lead to cataracts. Um, there are certain medications um, that can contribute to cataracts as well. Ultimately, those are medications, typically steroid medicines, that when you need them, you need them. And, and we deal with the cataracts. We can always fix the cataracts when they happen. But certainly staying away from steroid medicines, um, protecting your eyes from the sun, are, things, are steps that we can take to minimize the risk of cataracts, to reduce the, the rate at which they, they grow and the, and the age at which they arise. I always look at cataracts as a sign of how well somebody's aging. Like diabetics typically will get cataracts about 10 years sooner than a non-diabetic because diabetics tend to age a little bit quicker, whether it's oxidative stress or glycation that's causing the cataracts. So I think if you're just healthy in general, of course, sometimes it happens to healthy people and, and it just happens. My uh, the doctor I work with got cataracts and when he was in his 40s and, you know, he was basically healthy, he ate healthy and it was just kind of a freak thing. So sometimes it does happen as a freak thing. But I think if you keep yourself healthy, you could decrease your risk. The other the other interesting thing is that one person's cataract may be another person's not yet cataract. And to say that differently, we fix a cataract when it gets to the point of creating visual limitations, when it impairs you. and the and a cataract that might not bother somebody who's sitting in a nursing home staring at a TV all day might be a really bad cataract for somebody who's driving a truck at night or who's an eye surgeon or who's a engineer or an architect. So um, so the, the point at which a cataract ought to be fixed varies on a very individual level um, based upon the visual demands of the person who's got the cataract. So talk about the epidemiology of blindness throughout the world and the epidemiology of cataracts. Yeah, let me talk about two things, blindness, blindness but let's also talk about moderate visual loss. Interestingly, yeah. the leading cause of moderate visual loss in the world is people who need a pair of glasses and can't afford them. Uh, there's roughly a billion people on this planet who have no access to basic eye care. 91 million people are children. And the leading cause of, if you stop people on the street and check their vision, the leading cause of people who not who don't see well is they need a pair of glasses and they can't afford them or they, or they don't have access to them. If you talk about blindness, um, roughly half of all the blindness in the world is from cataracts. Um, and then the other half is all those other things that we spend all our day on, that I spend all my day on here in the United States. Cataracts, glauco I mean, glaucoma, macular degeneration, corneal diseases, infectious diseases. There are a whole bunch of other things, diabetes, um, that make up the other half. But in the in the world at large, cataracts are the low-hanging fruit. Um, they're easily and safely and inexpensively, inexpensively fixed. All those other things require a lifetime of care, glaucoma and diabetic retinopathy and macular degeneration. Um, cataracts are one-time fix, 10 minutes and you're good to go. So um, when we look at how we might impact blindness in the world and visual loss in the world, the two easy steps are get people a pair of glasses and fix their cataracts when their cataracts get to the point of being disabling. And both of those things are amenable to one-time interventions that last for years and in the, in, the, in the case of cataracts last forever. And there's technology that's arisen both in terms of providing glasses for poor people in remote places 
and in terms of doing cataract surgery on poor people that make it accessible in a way it was not 10 or 20 years ago. You know, you bring up a great point. You know, you travel around the world giving the gift of sight to people for, for with cataract surgery. And I know sometimes you team up with people who are doing eye exams to give glasses. You take somebody in a, a country where they can't, they have no access to glasses and they become 40 or 45 or 50, they become something called presbyopic and now they can't read anymore and they can't do their job. Yep, and, and what's more, if you're, if you're nearsighted, you know, or if you're farsighted, even from an earlier age, you're, you're visually disabled in those places. Um, it's worth noting that the, the rate of nearsightedness is growing rapidly all around the world. It used to be that roughly 20% of human beings were nearsighted. Nearsighted means they can see up close without glasses, but they need glasses to see a distance for reasons that aren't entirely clear, but that probably relate to urbanization and close work indoors and less exposure to sunlight. Um, more and more people are becoming nearsighted. Uh, the rate of nearsightedness in the world is probably now around 25 to 28%, and it's likely to be 50% by the year 2050. There are countries in the world where 95% of 18-year-olds are nearsighted. In South Korea, in Taiwan, um, in, high, in Singapore, in highly industrialized places where everybody's urbanized, the rate of nearsightedness has skyrocketed, probably related to long periods of time indoors engaged in close visual tasks, that is cell phones and video games and computer work. So what is your advice to parents whose kids are like, they're young enough where they could they can have some control about yeah. looking at video games? Do you so, have any advice? Yeah, so the, the first thing to say is that of course, um, kids ought to go out, kids ought to be outside playing. Um, and, uh, and to the extent they're outside playing, they're less likely to develop nearsightedness. But it's also true that there's a whole lot of stuff on the internet and a whole lot of video games you don't want your kids obsessing with. So for a, for a variety of reasons, it makes sense to kick kids outdoors and, and make them go play. <laughs> and uh, and my grandmother used to say, um, she said, Jeff, I used to get into bed at night and, and my mom would turn off the lights and I'd read in bed. And my grandmother would come in, she'd say, Put that book away you'll you'll damage your eyes and when i was in medical school and residency i learned that my grandmother was wrong mm -hmm. that reading in the dark doesn't damage your eyes but but now we know that grandma was right <laughs> that in fact long periods of time spent indoors and engaged in close visual tests appears to contribute to nearsightedness it's worth saying that nearsightedness is for many people a nuisance but for some people it's visually impairing and even blinding. Roughly 10% of all nearsighted people aren't a little bit nearsighted. They're what we call highly nearsighted, high myopes. And people who are highly nearsighted have a much higher risk of retinal detachment and macular degeneration and glaucoma and cataract and all those blinding diseases that, um, that with age uh, cause visual loss. So we need to prevent nearsightedness, not just because of the nuisance of needing glasses or contacts, but also because of the possibility that nearsightedness can turn into high nearsightedness and all the concurrent disease states that, that accompany it. Why do you, so why do you think that there's not enough cataract surgeons in other parts of the world? And why aren't people getting cataract surgery? Yeah. So here in the United States, cataract surgery is a highly technologically 
dependent surgery. We use a $60,000 ultrasound probe, the tip of which vibrates 40,000 times per second to liquefy and emulsify and suck out the cataract. We often use diamond blades or a million dollar laser to make the incision to prepare the cataract for surgery. And it's an expensive surgery. It costs roughly $2,000. Insurance pays for it, but it costs roughly $2,000 to fix a cataract in the Western world. And cataract surgery techniques were developed in that setting for those people. Um, for those for people overseas who make you know, $5 a day, a $2,000 surgery is utterly beyond their reach. And so for the longest time, there wasn't anything that we could do for people who had cataracts in the poorer parts of the world. Roughly 10 or 15 years ago, that all changed. In engaging enterprises, enterprising doctors all over the world, collaborating on the brand new internet without corporate or industrial or government support, reinvented cataract surgery. They said, hey, take a look at this. Instead of using that million dollar laser for an incision, we can make an incision with a 25 cent blade. Instead of using a, a $60,000 ultrasound probe, we can pop the cataract in, out in one piece using a little needle that we bend in the shape of a fish hook. And they reinvented, reimagined, re-engineered cataract surgery and made it accessible to the world's poorest people. We can now do cataract surgery at a cost of roughly thirty thousand, of roughly thirty dollars per case, and it turns out that that manual low-tech cataract surgery works every bit as well, especially in advanced, mature cataracts of the type that we see overseas, as modern techniques, as Western techniques. So now, all of a sudden, over the last ten years, we've had access to a new cataract surgery designed for the world's poorest people and accessible to the world's poorest people. The job now is to bring that surgery to those people, to build the capacity, to develop the skills in people who didn't learn that skill, and to expand the reach of cataract surgeons to the people most in need of it. And that's what, uh, that's what C International, the charity with which I work, seeks to do. So what is M6? What does it stand for? It stands for Manual Small Incision Cataract Surgery. When I was training, I guess, 35 years ago, we would make a big incision and we'd pop out the cataract in one piece, but but we made an incision in such a way that we'd have to put in four or five stitches afterwards. And we used to tell people, don't bend over, don't lift anything, you're gonna pop a stitch. And it would take weeks, sometimes even months before people could see well. Um, about 10 to 15 years ago, these uh, really enterprising third world doctors who had gotten tired of telling their blind patients that there was nothing they could do because they couldn't afford a $2,000 surgery, reinvented cataract surgery. They modified the incision, made it broader, made it stable. Um, they developed techniques for popping out the cataracts through a smaller incision. And in doing so, they created a surgery that takes 10 minutes that can be done at a material cost of roughly $25 to $30. And that appears to work every bit as well as modern Western techniques as we use them here in the United States. I would add that when this when this first arose, when these surgery techniques arose, nobody in the United States believed it. We all thought, come on, that can't be right. That can't be right. $30 for a cataract surgery. And, um, and nobody was going to believe it unless a randomized clinical trial was done. And so my friend, Jeff Tabin, who's a professor at Stanford and who was one of the developers of this technique um, invited his friend David Chang, who's one of the United States' most famous and most prolific of cataract surgeons, to come to Nepal. And they trucked along his phaco machine and his microscope, 
and roughly $100,000 worth of equipment. And they brought it up to the top of a monastery with some trucks and some yaks. And they sat him down next to Sanduk Ruit, who was Nepal's most famous cataract surgeon and an adherent to this manual small incision technique. And they sat the two doctors down, one next to each other, one doing a $2,000 per eye surgery, the other one doing a $30 per eye surgery, and randomly assigned patients to one or the other. And it turned out that for the advanced cataracts that they see in Nepal, the um, manual technique was quicker, the re visual recovery was quicker, and at six weeks, the two eyes were equivalent. Um, the manual technique worked every bit as well as the fancy, highly technologically dependent techniques that we use here in the United States. It's also worth noting that it's not uncommon when I'm operating overseas for the lights to go out. You know, power is something we take for granted and it's awfully periodic in certain places in the world. Um, when the electricity goes out, you can't do modern Western cataract surgery, but you can sure do manual cataract surgery. And when the lights go out overseas, all the nurses take out their, their cell phones. Everybody's got a cell phone. They turn on their flashlights and we get right back to work. Um, I've often, I've seen doctors in Africa turn on their car and run a, run a wire from the car battery to the microscope and they can do, if they have a light, they can do cataract surgery with the manual small incision technique. Here in the United States, without power, there's not much we can do. <laughs> we just shut it down if the power ever goes out. Of course, it doesn't go out in the United States as it does over there. But yeah, it's a technique designed and evolved for the world's poorest people that, that offers us a, a path to the end of needless blindness in the world. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about your uh with Mr. Beast, your your segment with Mr. Beast, and 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 later in the show, but I it's funny. I had a patient who saw that Mr. Beast segment that you did, and he asked me, "Why don't we do that type of surgery in the United States? Why are yeah. we doing Why are we doing the two thousand dollars surgery?" Right. So the answer is, we operate on the United on cataracts in the United States pretty early in their course. Um, a cataract in the United has states has the has the consistency of like melted ice cream. Um, it's not rock hard, it's kind of soft and mushy. And the techniques we use here were designed for those kind of cataracts and they work best for those kind of cataracts. Um, as you might imagine though, if you have a rock hard cataract, one that's the consistency not of melted ice cream, but the consistency of a marble, it's really hard to emulsify. And it's, and it's not all that safe to spend all that energy within the eye breaking up a rock hard cataract. So the techniques that the cataracts that they see overseas, people who are completely blinded by cataracts, um, Western techniques don't work all that well, and their techniques work better. Their techniques are better for their cataracts. Our techniques are better for our cataracts. And it makes sense here to do um, ultrasound techniques, techniques that use a tiny incision. It's worth adding, and I didn't mention this before, there's a little bit less astigmatism induced with our techniques than with theirs. So if your goal is 20-20 vision, is perfect vision, our techniques are a little bit better. Over there, though, there's no 20-20. There's can you see or not? Can you see to walk around? Can you see to take care of yourself? Can you see to feed your family? And if you're 20-40 after cataract surgery, having been blind the day before, that's a success. Over here, <laughs> people have more expectations and, uh, and they're unhappy people who are 2040, if they have a little astigmatism and need a pair of glasses after surgery. Um, 
there's a different set of expectations and, and therefore the two techniques diverge. Um, having said that, I do, if I see a really advanced cataract here in the United States, I'll do an M6. Um, it works great. And it's a better way to do an advanced cataract. And how about anesthesia? Uh, when does the anesthesia apply with M6 when you're in yeah. the world? When does I travel apply? overseas, we don't bring an anesthesiologist with us. And people are wide awake. Their eyes are numb. We numb their eye with either with drops or with an injection, but they're wide awake. And it's amazing. Nobody ever moves and nobody ever complains. You can hear them whispering prayers. You can hear them, you know, uh, talking to themselves, but there's never a, a, there's never a complaint. Here in the United States, we have an anesthesiologist at our side. We give an IV, we give some sedation. We often give some pain medicine. People wiggle a little bit. If they feel anything, they let me know. They're sure to let me know. So again, there's a different set of expectations and a different, uh, and a, and a different uh, goal. Over there, they know this is their one shot. And they, and they know life is not free of pain, um, that there's supposed to be some pain in life. And so, um, and so culturally, they're accustomed to holding still when the doctor tells them to hold still. Um, the United States, for reasons that aren't entirely clear to me, consumes, I think, 80% of all the pain medicines in the world. Um, and, uh, and we have this understanding that, that we should never have any pain. And so we use anesthesiologists. The anesthesiologists are careful to assure that the surgery um, is painless. Often we give people sedation that makes them half asleep during surgery. It's a different expectation and, and it's cultural. It's, um, and it's not, it's outside of my realm of expertise, other than to say that over there, people do great without it and here they need it. You know, when we were doing the movie and we were in Costa Rica and the surgeon was doing cataract surgery, the initial incision the people were yelling and screaming that they felt oh, that right? they did. So I don't know if somebody huh. missed is, or they weren't using enough anesthesia. So that's where that question is coming from. Yeah, I guess the other thing is that, um, so we'll usually use a periballbar block. We'll give a shot to numb the eye and it stings for 10 seconds, but then they're entirely numb. Now, when I go to the Philippines, I work with Filipino doctors who don't do that. They just use drops to numb the eye and people feel it a little, but nobody nobody seems to complain all that much um i think the doctors have different expectations the patients as well and part of my goal as a visiting doctor is to encourage pain-free surgery but but i also try to be um, sensitive to the culture at which i where i'm visiting so talk about what it does to a person inside that's blind you know, what happens yeah. to their personality? What happens yeah. to their self-worth? Yeah, being blind means you all, it means you can't contribute as you used to. You can't, you become dependent. You can often become despairing and depressed and despondent. It's a, it's a rotten thing, especially unnecessarily blind. If you're blind because of a disease that can't be fixed, people get used to that. People adapt to amazing things. But if you're blind and you know there's a surgery that can be done to fix you and you can't afford it or you don't have access to it, that's a really embittering experience. And um, and and restoration of sight um, restores people's faith and their personality and their love for the world and their ability to enjoy and their ability to not be so dependent, to contribute, to become the the person they were meant to be to do the things they were they were put on earth to do it's um it's really restorative it's really refreshing to watch macu health 
your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. Rub your eyes often? Blurry or double vision driving at night? Red light. Stop. You may have keratoconus, a progressive eye disease which can cause vision loss. Visit couldidbkc.com to take the quiz. If you rub your eyes and are experiencing changes to your vision, this may be a symptom of keratoconus, a progressive eye disease that may lead to significant vision loss. Early diagnosis is important, so don't ignore the simple act of rubbing your eyes. Please visit livingwithkc.com. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. We're back with Dr. Jeff Levinson, Chief Medical Officer of C International, founder of Jacksonville's Gift of Sight, and Medical Director of the Levinson Eye Associates. He's bringing the Gift of Sight to people throughout the world by doing cataract surgery for as low as $30. And he teamed up with Mr. Beast to give the Gift of Sight to a thousand people. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing Mr. Beast did for people. T- tell us that whole story. What was it like when he called you? How'd that happen? Yeah, so I should start by saying I've never heard of Mr. Beast. I didn't know who he was. So, um, and for those in the audience who don't know his, who he is to this day, he's um, the he's YouTube's most subscribed, um, what do you call it, creator. He has 133 million subscribers to his YouTube channel. Having said that, my story was um, for 30 years, I've been doing free cataract surgery on medically indigent patients here in Jacksonville who are blind and can't afford surgery uh, through a charity called Vision is Priceless. And for 10 years, I've been traveling overseas, maybe more than 10 years now, doing free cataract surgery among the world's poorest people with an organization called Sea International. And six years ago, I did a TED Talk where I talked about the advent of this new form of cataract surgery that was accessible to the world's poorest people. And I talked about the prospect of ending needless blindness in the world, of ending half of all the blindness in the world. And the TED Talk was, to my mind, a beautiful talk. I I, I loved that talk, but only 11,000 people in the world saw it over the course of six years that it's been on the internet. But it turned out that one of those people was this kid named Jimmy Donaldson, who goes by the name Mr. Beast, and is a really influential YouTuber. And about four months ago, I got this phone call out of the blue. I'm in the middle of a busy day in clinic. And he says, hey, it's Mr. Beast. He said, I've seen your video. I love what you do. I want to I wanna make a movie about it. I want to do free cataract surgery all around the world three weeks from now. And, um, and I'd never heard of him. And I did, the whole thing sounded kind of crazy. He wanted to do it th- three weeks after, after the phone call. He said, let's get it done. And I almost hung up and instead I didn't hang up. I said, let me call you back. (laughs) And I went home and Googled him and it turns out his YouTube properties are valued at roughly $1.5 billion. And he's got 130 million subscribers. And so I called him back and I said, yeah, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. I said, it's going to be expensive. And I don't think we can do it three weeks now. And he said, whatever it costs. And, um, and so we, went to every homeless clinic and every free clinic and we looked under every rock 
from Savannah to Tallahassee to Jacksonville. We found 40 people in and around Jacksonville who were blind or nearly completely blind from cataracts. And, um, and then Jimmy came down and we interviewed every one of them before their surgery. And we interviewed every one of them after their surgery and watched as we took off their patch and as they could see again. And then we sent them around the world with C International and we did another 960 cases. We ended up with a thousand surgeries over the course of about three weeks. Um, and, and he wrote a check to pay for the whole thing. And just about three weeks ago, the YouTube video came out. And for those of you who haven't seen it, it's this beautiful compendium of basically one after another, the patch comes off and people realize they can see again. And many of these people have been blind for years and years. And it's this really joyous, beautiful romp through the wonder of, of cataract surgery, which is, you know, we live surrounded by modern miracles that we take for granted, like our, like our cell phone or like electricity. But one of the world's greatest inventions, one of world's, the world's most extraordinary miracles is giving sight to the blind. You know, it's a biblical thing when you take somebody who can see and who can't see, who's been blind for years, and 10 minutes later, they can see again. So it was a really joyous video. And, um, and as of today, I think it had 115 million views all around the world. And it's been covered in over 60 different periodicals. And uh, everyone in the world all of a sudden is talking about needless blindness. Um, and I always imagined that the day would come that that we would rise as a people, as a civilization, in moral indignation and decide to end needless blindness. And I've been screaming it from the rooftops for 15 years, but it never occurred to me that that message would come in the form of a 24-year-old kid named Mr. Beast. But in fact, that's just what happened. The whole world had to sit up and pay attention because Mr. Beast called attention to this problem and its solution. So I was lucky enough to be the... Uh, the beneficiary of his curiosity <laughs> and lucky enough that he happened to see my TED talk that very few people saw. And I'm hopeful that it can drive the conversation forward and that we can come to a day where we don't tolerate people who are blind for no good reason any longer. How did you navigate doing, you know, surgery, which is something that's, you know, very skilled, something that's very important and that you have to be very careful with a bunch of 20 year olds running around goofing off and trying to have yeah. fun during so surgery. It was all those things. So it, it was um, when he came, he came with a staff of 30. So there were lights and cameras and sound and comedians and actors. There was a crew of 30 people who took over our, our operating room. And so it was a, it was a three ring circus at one point on, on the one hand, it's a serious surgery and people's lives depend upon the successful completion of this delicate surgery. On the other hand, it was a Hollywood set with all of the accoutrements of a Hollywood set. And on, on the third hand, it was a bunch of 20 year olds who were making their next viral video and having fun doing it. And we had these constant negotiations <laughs> between these three important prerogatives, all of which were important to the, to the production of the of the product and um, we all compromised a little and and it worked beautifully one thing that happened was um i got a call at like 8 p.m the night before the surgery and it was the producer and she said hey jimmy doesn't like to wake up early so would you mind if we start at 8 8 at 11 a.m instead of 8 a.m <laughs> and, and and um and i usually start at seven i'd compromised on eight and I said, no, that's not okay. 
<laughs> these people are going to be waiting for their surgery. They're going to be expecting their surgery. Get them out of bed. <laughs> so we did start at, uh, at 7.30. But there were other ways in which we did compromise. We had people in the OR watching the surgery, commenting upon the surgery, filming the surgery um, with, the, with the closest attention to the safety of the patients and the safety of the surgery. Um, and we ended up with a product that was that that 110 million people around the world loved, but that also um, provided safe, effective surgery to 40 individuals who um, who joyously experienced um, having their sight restored and, and the world getting to see what they looked like the moment their sight was restored. And where did you find these 40 patients uh, to start off with? I mean, it was a thousand altogether. How many yeah. surgeons were there besides you and... And what take and also what technique did you use? Did you use yeah. M six or did we did you use this the regular technique? Yeah, ACO. Uh, so I was the only surgeon and took all day to do these surgeries. Uh, and the surgery, you know, surgeries only take ten minutes. So I do thirty every day, and I'm done by two thirty. Um, but how about I, the thousand? I don't do the thousand. So the the ones here in the United States were done with the manual. I mean, with the FACO technique, the Western technique. And we did that because that's what the staff and the OR knows. We have the equipment, and we might as well avail ourselves of it. So all of these surgeries, many of which would have been appropriately done with the manual low tech technique, we all did with the the advanced Western techniques. Overseas, we did them all manually. They're all manual extra cap techniques. And those surgeries were done by other C volunteer doctors and host doctors overseas. Um, um, how, so many, how many were there all together? How many doctors did the thousand surgeries all together? So there were five trips. Um, so each trip has at least one host doctor who lives in Honduras or the Philippines or um, wherever it might be doing the surgery, and then one visiting doctor from the United States. So there were at least 10 doctors in the um, in the thousand surgeries that were done overseas. Um, and those were all done with manual extra cap techniques. And any, any of their names that you could share the doctor so we could give them credit? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Dr. Goodman is another um, C doctor who's a good friend of mine. He lives in Santa Barbara, California. And he was in, I think, Fiji, and we did some cases in the South Pacific. Um, and I'm trying to remember who was in Honduras. Oh, in Namibia, Dr. Helena Ndume um, did, did many of the surgeries. She's a, um, a long friend of C International. In fact, it's worth noting, she has single-handedly ended needless blindness in the country of Namibia. She's personally done over 35,000 surgeries um, and 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 there's no longer a backlog of cataracts in in Namibia. We've we've more or less ended needless blindness in an entire country through her extraordinary work. Um, so those are two of the doctors who collaborated on the overseas portion. And you found the patients from homeless shelters and uh, various medical clinics, the ones in the U.S. Yeah, we have a, a charity here in Jackson called Vision is Priceless, and Vision is Priceless does screenings probably six times a year. And, um, and they send me cataract patients, but usually I don't, I don't save them up. I just do them when they come in. So at the time Mr. Beast called, I didn't have anybody on a list. I, I, I didn't have anybody. And I thought I can't find 40 people or in, in three weeks, but sure enough, you put out the word <laughs> that there's free cataract surgery for blind people. And, and, uh, they came, you know, we built it and they came. It surprised me. So tell us so many inside and outside stories of working with Mr. Beast. Yeah. 
Um, so one of the things that uh, that really surprised me was how genuinely kind he was. You know, he called and said, uh, let's do surgery for a thousand people. And I said, great. And we did that. But there were all these other things that happened around the time of the filming that that were unnecessary to the to the surgery and unnecessary to the video, but were extraordinary evidence of his kindness. Um, I'll give you a couple of stories. One, one story was that there was one woman who I met and did surgery on before he had arrived. He had never met her. And she had talked about how she was an African immigrant. She'd been in the United States for five years. She was doing great. She was working, she was employed. And then she got blind. Uh, little by little, she lost her vision. As she lost her vision, she lost her job. And then she ended up losing, un unable to pay her rent and living on a friend's couch. And she told the story and it was just this heartbreaking story and we did her surgery. And um, Mr. B saw this, the video of it the next day. And he said, bring her back. Next time I'm there, bring her back. He said, I wanna meet her. And I thought he's gonna give her $10,000. Cause for those of you who are familiar with Mr. B still often drop $10,000 on somebody just for the heck of it. And, um, and I called her up, I said, come on in. He wants to see you. And um, it turned out that she couldn't get a ride and she couldn't make it in. And she missed her chance. And I thought, that's a shame because he was probably going to give her 10,000 bucks. And three weeks later, at 9 p.m. at night, my phone rang. And it was this woman. And she said, you'll never guess what I just got. I got this box. And in this box, there's $10,000 worth of gift cards. She said, they, they called me and they tried to send to wire the money to my bank. But I don't have a bank account. And I couldn't do that. And she said, they wanted to send me a $10,000 check, but I can't check cash at $10. Nobody's going to take a $10,000 check for me. So they sent me a box full of gift cards. And what struck me was that all this happened without the cameras. This wasn't going to make it to the video. This wasn't going to be part of the story. It was just him being kind. And there was another extraordinary event. Um, in the weeks before Mr. Beast came, one of the husbands of one of our nurses was in a terrible motorcycle accident and ended up paralyzed. And somebody had put up a, a thermometer in, in our dressing room to raise some money for, for this husband who was paralyzed to, raise, to help pay for his medical costs. And at that time, the thermometer was maybe 20% colored in. And at the end of the day of surgery, um, Mr. Beast, Jimmy, calls over our head nurse and he says, what's the deal here? What's this thermometer all about? And she says, oh, one of our staff's husbands was just paralyzed in a motorcycle accident. And he takes out this pen and he colors in the thermostat all the way to the top and writes a check. This also wasn't on the video. It was never, the cameras were, the cameras were being put away. The sound people were gone. This was never gonna make it into the video. It was just him being extraordinarily kind. So it was quite a thing to see. It was quite a thing to 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 learn that the persona on, on YouTube is the is the same guy you meet in person. You know, because he's taking some unnecessary flack for this for this video. Yeah. So one of the when people first saw the video, I think almost everybody thought it was extraordinary. It was it was joyful. People cried. People loved it. But after like three or four days, people said, "This is outrageous." There were a bunch of people who said, "Why does it take a kid millionaire for blind people to see again 
why don't we just do this? Why, why, what kind of a system do we live in where these people are blind until, until some millionaire decides to grant them the, the right to see? And I think, and that criticism fell upon Mr. B's shoulders, but really it was a criticism, and I think a valid criticism of our society. Um, you know, he was just doing a nice thing to help people, but what, but what it called to attention of people was that we live in an unfair world where people are people who can't afford surgery are blind. It's especially true overseas, but it's true in the United States to some extent as well. The argument that I, the other side of the coin is, what if he had called me and what if he'd said, Jeff, let's do a thousand free surgeries on blind people, but let's do this. Let's not do, but let's not make a video. Let's not tell anybody. Had we done that, there'd be a thousand fewer blind people in the world today, but there wouldn't be a hundred million people talking about it. And there wouldn't be this discussion about what we might do to end needless blindness for the 20 million people who are still blind. It would have been without the video, without him using his celebrity, it would have been a drop in the bucket, wouldn't have had any impact on the 20 million people who were completely blind. With his impact, with a hundred thousand, hundred million people talking about it, there's the potential to bring this fight to a wider audience, to raise money, to to address this problem in ways we couldn't before. So, you know, if he made a little money in the process, if if his video made a little money, I'm okay with that. I think that's 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 perfectly okay. He made the world a better place, and he brought a problem to the attention of people who can make a difference in uh, in solving it. In different parts of the world. Uh... Patients are people are afraid to get cataract surgery. You know, someone had cataract surgery and it was a poor outcome, and they'll they'll walk around blind but be afraid to do it. How could we get these other surgeons around the world to be better trained? I think that's I think that's already changing. I think there for the longest time there was this reputation. Um, of cataract surgery as a not all that safe and not all that effective surgery. Over the last 15, 20 years, that's all changed. Um, Helena Ndume is a friend of mine in, in Namibia. Um, she was a child of apartheid. And somehow uh, in the middle of, uh, of the apartheid regime escaped across the border to Namibia, um, lived through a civil war, was recognized as an extraordinary talent and sent to Germany where she went to medical school and did a residency training. And she went back to Namibia to try to end blindness in Namibia. And when she first got there, um, on all the radio stations, they were saying, come to our eye camp. We're going to cure your cataracts. And she said the first year, like 50 people showed up. Nobody showed up because cataract surgery, traditional cataract surgery, had a terrible reputation. But she said those 50 people went home. And the next time she, and six months later, when she did another eye camp, they didn't have enough seats. There, were enough, there weren't enough place to put people. There were a thousand people who lined up. Every person who has a successful surgery tells everyone they know. Every person who has an unsuccessful surgery tells everyone they know as well. But as the techniques have gotten better, as this manual small incision technique has caught on around the world, as people are better trained and there's more capacity among good doctors, that problem is going away. Uh, rather rapidly. And now when we announce an eye camp, the big question is, will we have enough space? Will we have enough implants? Will we have enough materials for all the people who come? Um, three nights ago, I got a call from my partner in the Philippines. And he said, and I'm coming to visit in late May. And he said, Jeff, do you want to do 500 cases or 1,000 cases in a week? And he said, before you answer, I want you to know that there are 5,000 people waiting for this surgery. 
So, so I said, okay, let's do a thousand. But, uh, but, but more and more people have figured out all around the world, even in the poorest places in the world, that cataract surgery works, and that if you can, if you can get access to it, you ought to have it. Now, do you think there'll be a time when there'll be same day cataract surgery in the U.S.? Oh yeah, both eyes, both and eyes. Both, yeah. Okay. So the only reason we don't do cataract surgery, and when I go overseas, we do both eyes at the same time. If people are blind in both eyes, and if we have the capacity, we do both eyes. And the only reason we don't do that in the United States is that insurance only pays for one eye, pays full price for one eye, and second price for any subsequent surgeries that same day. So if you do both eyes the same day, you get paid 100% of the first eye and 50% of the second eye. And for that reason, it's not done much in the United States. But it's purely, it's not a medical reason, it's purely a financial reason. At Kaiser Permanente, where there's no money exchanging hands, where the doctors are employees of the insurance company, um, they do both eyes the same day. And they have really compelling evidence to indicate that it works every bit as well. That the rate, the risk of infection is um, is the same as if you did each eye separately. That anesthesia complications are are no greater, um, and of course there's great convenience to getting both eyes done the same day. Um, so yeah, I think if it weren't for the financial incentive to separate it, we'd do both eyes the same day. The surgeries reliable and predictable and safe enough that there's no reason not to. Now when we do both eyes the same day, we don't do we don't do one eye and then just flip over and do the other eye. We do consecutive independent surgeries. We do one eye, take the patient out of the room, re-scrub, re-prep, re-drape, and then do the second eye. Um, because obviously there's a rare risk of infection with cataract surgery, roughly one in 2000. But if you use the same instruments on the second eye, you know what is a tragedy, infection within the eye can become a, an exaggerated tragedy. So we always take the patient out, re-prep, re-scrub, re-drape, do everything as though it was a separate eye, separate case entirely. Patients always, always ask, will there ever be a time where there'll be laser, the whole cataract surgery will be done with a laser? So ultimately, there's a lens inside the eye. We have to take it out because it's cloudy. So I think we will always have to make an incision. We will always have to enter the eye. Now, if you're asking me in 50 years what, what it's going to look like, ultimately, the question is, will we ever be able to prevent cataracts? Will there be some way of either preventing cataracts or curing cataracts? And I think if you had asked dentists in the 1960s if there would ever be a way to prevent cavities, because most doctors back then, most dentists back then made a living fill, filling cavities, they would have said, no, nah, that's never going to happen. And then fluoride arose. And now dentists don't fill many cavities anymore. So will there ever be a way to understand why we age and why as we age, things like cataracts arise and will we ever be able to prevent senescence, age-related degradation in the human body? I, maybe. I, I, don't, I don't think it's out of the question that someday we'll understand why we age and why we decay and why by the age of 90, we're pretty much done. And if we can ever understand what causes that and if we can ever modulate that, maybe people won't get cataracts any longer and I'll be looking for something else to do. So you know, when we were in Costa Rica, you know, we were going to go back together uh, with Dr. Levinson, uh, the Open Your Eyes team, and do a part two to the film of the documentary. But, you know, we got derailed by COVID. And there's probably a thousand patients in Costa Rica that are in need 
of this type of work that you do. Is that something that is possible in your future, that possible for us to possibly work together again? Absolutely. And, and I'd love the opportunity to. There are a couple of things we need. We need a host doctor who can identify the patients and take care of the patients when we leave. Um, and uh, and then we need a facility um, and permissions. So typically a host doctor in a foreign country will invite us. Um, we'll need an invitation from some health authority, either the health department or the governor or the mayor. And uh, then we need a facility that's willing to open their doors to us. And uh, if we have those three things, we can get these, we can, we can get it done. Yeah, yeah we, we have all of those three things. We had it before COVID. So uh, I know the Open Your Eyes team is looking at that. And uh, we're going to contact you about possibly going back and doing a part two to the film. That'd be great. Costa Rica is a great place to visit, too, as you know. It sure is. Yeah. So uh, as we finish up, uh, talk a little bit about how people could donate to the cause, C International, and some of the uh, the cause in the United States if they want to donate to yeah. uh, to help people in the U.S. Yeah. So um, so there's roughly 20 million people in the world who are completely blind for need of a 10 minute surgery that can be done for less than fifty dollars. Uh, C International the website is seintl.org. Um, does 200 trips a year to 50 different countries, curing blindness among the world's poorest, blindest people. And for a $25 donation, we can restore the site to a blind person. Um, here in the United States, Vision is Priceless is the charity with which I work. And we have a commitment to ending blindness among people who can't otherwise afford their surgery in Jacksonville. No one in the United States should be blind for need of a cataract surgery. It's, it's just stupid. And here in the United States, Vision is Priceless, the websites, visionispriceless.org, assures that in and around where I live, nobody's blind because they can't afford a cataract surgery. Everybody who needs it can get it. So gifts to Vision is Priceless or C International would be greatly appreciated. And, uh, and the gift would be highly leveraged because you can restore a person to fullness, getting them back to work, making them less dependent, um, restoring their ability to do what they do to make the world a better place and help their family and community. And since the Mr. Beast video, there's been a lot more donations. We had 100,000 hits to the Sea International website in the days right after the video came. And many of those gave money. So we have an opportunity to... Uh, to really make an impact, to really make the world a better place with these gifts. I want to thank Dr. Jeff Levinson for joining me today, Chief Medical Officer of Sea International, Humanitarian uh, Medical Director of the Levinson Eye Associates. If people want to find out more about you, how could they do that? So I think if you Google me, go to YouTube and, and Google me, my TED Talk will pop up and that probably tells the story as well as anything. Um, so if you Google Levinson Cataract, it's L-E-V-E-N-S-O-N, or if you go to uh, TED.com and look under Levinson, um, it tells the story of how I fell into this hobby and, uh, and the work that will be necessary to rid the world of needless blindness. Rub your eyes often? Blurry or double vision driving at night? Red light, stop. You may have keratoconus, a progressive eye disease which can cause vision loss. Visit couldidbkc.com to take the quiz. If you rub your eyes and are experiencing changes to your vision, this may be a symptom of keratoconus, a progressive eye disease that may lead to significant vision loss. Early diagnosis is important, so don't ignore the simple act of rubbing your eyes.
please visit livingwithkc.com. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology. The All Eyes Visual All VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEbroadcasting.com and sign up today. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.